unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. Welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. And today, we've got a guest joining us. Yeah, we do. Um, Nathan, let me start with my prepared introduction. Uh, Despite what the rock group The Buggles told us, video did not kill the radio star. Our guest in today's special report from the field, Daisy Luther, regularly appears on 830 terrestrial radio stations through the Genesis Radio Network. But to many people, Daisy is even better known as the organic prepper. She runs a very popular and profitable website. I met Daisy personally in late April at a private dinner in Baltimore for former journalists who have embraced copywriting. Daisy, we're so honored to have you here and welcome to the Copywriters Podcast. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Well, great. So everybody today, Daisy will share details of her business and whatever else we can convince her to share with us. And as we begin, let me remind you of something. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear in this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health and finance and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So Daisy, let's get started. Absolutely. The organic prepper, what is it and how did you start it? Um, Well, that is my website where I talk about preparedness, frugality, um, food, health, all sorts of stuff like that. So um, let's just go back about six years. Um, I had left the corporate world because I really wanted to write for a living. So I started out working for an alternative media company that published in the news and survival niche. And I found that niche really interesting. And I wanted to kind of bring a new spin to it by combining my interest in nutrition with my interest in emergency preparedness. So it started out as a side gig, but as time went on, um, the website got really popular and now it's my main gig. Wow, that's awesome. Can you tell us how popular, how many visitors or viewers your website has? I get about 350,000 page views a month. Wow. Uh, that's, that's pretty good, right? I mean, that's big league. It is. It is. It's, it's up there. Yeah, definitely. It's one of the top 20 survival websites in the country. That's awesome. So, you know, at our private dinner, you said something that really piqued my interest. You shared some astounding information about how much content you create. Could you tell this to our listeners only if to give people, yeah, an idea of what is possible once you really commit to a project? For sure. I write about 100,000 words on an average week, and I track this on Grammarly. And I've had weeks as low as 67,000, like um, last week when I was traveling, and as high as 170,000. That's amazing. I mean, that doesn't sound like it gives you much time for research. 
Well, you know, it sounds like a lot, but the thing to know is that the more you write, the easier it gets. So I write in a lot of different formats. <clears throat> I write blog posts, I write lengthy social media posts, and I write three newsletters a day. I also write books, so I've always got some little project on the go that requires me to write, but I'm using a lot of different platforms and a lot of different voices there. So it's, it's not that difficult. You can take the same batch of research and apply it to numerous mediums. And I'm wondering how much of this is um, like second nature to you, stuff that you already know from your interest in preparedness and your interest in nutrition, and how much of it is requires brand new research. In, a, in other words, like when a copywriter is, or a content writer, or a ghost writer, or a freelance writer, anybody like that, is in a lot of different niches. Sometimes they have to start at square one with the information. You're really focusing on these two topics, right? And right. so is a, a lot of the basic information already internalized from previous work? Yes, it is. And the other thing I do is I use a lot of current events to basically underline my, my basic premise of my website about being more prepared and being more aware of what's going on around you. So when you're using current events, that makes for pretty easy research. And you can just, you know, do a lot of, of quoting and then just put your own spin on it. Just more like commentary. Could you take this into um, a blog post or a story or or uh, some piece of content with, with an example, um, you know, in, in the last few weeks of where there was a current event that, and, and how you use that to, um, you know, spring into an actual piece of content. Well, let's go back um, a little further than the past few weeks. Let's go back to the power outage in Puerto Rico. Um, as we like to say in the survival niche, the, the SHTF really happened there. That means the shit hit the fan. <laughs> um, so when the hurricane hit Puerto Rico, their electrical system was already in really, really bad condition. So the entire island was completely wiped out. There was no electricity whatsoever after the storm hit. So a couple of days before the storm, I wrote, this is what's going to happen because then I, I cited a whole bunch of information from their um, internal um, utility company. And then I wrote an article explaining that it was going to take a long time for power to be restored. And so that suddenly people were going to be thrown back about 100 to 200 years um, just based on this fact. So sure enough, the storm hit and that's exactly what happened. So then after that, I got a ton of content. You know, I wrote about the civil unrest that was occurring because there was no food to buy and no money to buy it with. I wrote about how people were getting water and purifying it, how people were getting sick from not having their water purified, um, what people were eating and how their lives had changed. So that is a ton of content right there from one event. And with each of those things, it's a cautionary tale. You don't want to get caught having to drink dirty water because you don't have a water filter. You don't want to get caught without food because the grocery store doesn't have any. You don't want to get caught without electricity and, you know, have your standard of living plummet. You can prepare for that ahead of time. So it's really easy to tie the two together. Okay, that's really good. But then that brings up the question, and we weren't going to get political here, but I, I think we're going to. In order for me to ask this question, um, I, I'm, I follow the news. I watch cable news. I'm on uh, Google News. I think even uh, Facebook tries to tell me what's trending 
I never saw anything about civil unrest in Puerto Rico. I'm not doubting that it happened. Right. I'm sure it would have happened. But my question is, how did you get this information if it doesn't seem like uh, the normal media uh, wasn't covering it? Well, if I recall correctly, uh, some of the stories about the civil unrest were just included as little inserts into longer articles about what happened. Um, I believe it was Washington Post, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, one of those those bigger outlets was um, interviewing people who had gotten off the island after the storm, and they were like Americans who were there working or on vacation, and they were telling stories. And, you know, I found a little story on that article, and I found a little story on another article, and I was able to piece together a bigger story about the civil unrest because it was clearly happening. It just wasn't being highlighted. It was being reported, but just kind of stuck in there. Okay, that's interesting, and and that's great. And and that's what any good researcher does is is you're um, you're looking at the context and you're learning to connect that you're learning you've learned to you connect the dots in a new way um, and I, I guess I'd like to say for copywriters you need to do the same thing I mean so often someone would go into a client say and uh, they would ask about the product and the you know the client tells them what they think the product is and tells them the features and the benefits. And here's how I want you to write this. And the copywriter goes off and writes it and the client's very happy and the piece bombs. And, you know, maybe a more creative copywriter could take a lesson from you as, as I, I think we'll uh, talk about in a little, just a minute or two, you're doing very well, not only in terms of producing an amazing amount of content, but also um, business-wise, you figured out some pretty neat things that um, both the copywriters and the business owners and anyone else listening to this could get something out of. Um, so anyway, thanks, thanks for sharing that. Um, let, let's talk now about your, your product strategy. You told me something you're doing with $5 PDFs, which just blew my mind. And yes, please, please tell us what it well, is. Um, first, this isn't the only way I monetize, but this is kind of a, a side way that I've begun monetizing at the beginning of the year. And it's turned out to be really successful. Um, so I want to talk first about the horrifyingly low $5 price point. <laughs> Most of the people in the internet marketing space feel like they've got to present offers that are really expensive, you know, $50, $200, $300. You get the idea. Sure. So, a while back, I had some major medical bills. My daughter had been sick and, um, you know, it was up in the thousands of dollars. And I began to think about the scope of my reach. It's about 50,000 people with um, Facebook following and newsletter subscribers and all that. And I started thinking, how could I get $1 from every person on my list or in my social media following? And I think if more of us thought about it, $1 from every person that follows us, that could be a significant amount of money. So, of course, course, it's hard to get every single person on your list to cough up some money, but I decided to start making deals that were too good to pass up. And that's when I hit on the $5 price point. For my audience, this is a perfect number um, because they are frugal by nature. They're thrifty. They're not going to spend um, thousands of dollars on the information that I provide. It's just, it's not going to happen. So I sell a subscription product for that month. 
that amount. So every month I get my $5 from them. And I pre-sell books that I intend to self-publish or shop to a publishing company for that amount. I use um, SendOwl for the payment and delivery system. And I've marked things up to $5.49 to cover the cost with the credit card company so that the five bucks is mine. Now I make about $4,000 to $5,000 a month in $5 increments. So it's also... That's, before- ju- that's just from SendOwl? That's just, yes, that is from my subscription product and whatever PDF that I'm promoting at that point. So a lot of people would think that this is my tripwire and that this is how I'm getting people into my funnel, but there really is no funnel. Um, It's not something I have to constantly sell. Because once they've subscribed, they're, they're paying me my $5 every month. And it's very soft sell. Because who's going to turn down a 240-page book for only 5 bucks? Hardly anyone says no to that. So, so could, you, could you give us examples of some of the book titles or the book uh, subjects? Yeah, the, the most current one is called How to Survive a Dozen Disasters, and it is a 242-page PDF, and it's got very specific instructions on surviving things like earthquakes, hurricanes, tornadoes, job loss, things that some people might not really consider a disaster, but they are if it happens to you. And so I, I sold 2,000 copies of that book in a month at $5. Wow. Is this a new book every month that you're doing? Um, no, no, I'm still kind of resting on the laurels of that one. Um, I've got another one coming out that is basically a series of interviews with someone who survived the occupation of Bosnia. And a lot of these things are somewhat already on my website. So I'm not sitting down and just going, boom, I just wrote 70,000 fresh words. Like I'm taking some of the content that's already existing on my website and I'm freshening it up. I'm adding information that isn't included on the website. So, I mean, it takes me about a week to put a a new book together and do the cover and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, just, just in terms of what I'm hearing, um, that, that is, you know, someone else could apply. Well, you need to learn to write faster. You need to have a good audience, a good list, a good following, whatever. And you need to have very specific information that that people in your niche or your market are interested in that they're probably not getting anywhere else. Or like you're talking about with Puerto Rico, you they would have to stitch together. Maybe they don't have time to do that. You do because people are essentially paying you to do that in mass, you know, $5 at a time. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, the thing I focus on is providing a high-quality product. So the next time I offer a $5 product, the persuasion required to sell that is even less. They know they want it as soon as I offer it. Yeah. So that has been really easy. And people are very thankful that they can afford it because a lot of these products are, are just out of reach for them. And um, I also give away a lot, quite a few copies. I always um, sell it for a few days and then I send out an email. If you can't afford it, just write to me and I'll send you a PDF. And, you know, maybe people are taking advantage, but usually I sell another 500 copies whenever I offer it for free. So 
if, if your heart's in the right place, it seems like it pays off. Yeah. If, if your heart's in the right place and your butt's in the right place and you, and you know, you you actually sit down and do some work too. I mean, right. a, a lot of people think, well, I'm a good person, but they don't actually put pedal to the metal. You do both. That's pretty oh, cool. That is so true. That is so true. And you know, that kind of leads me to something else I wanted to talk about Yeah, is the whole, oh, I'm going to go sit on a beach chair in the Bahamas or somewhere like that, and I'm going to work for 15 minutes a day, and I'm going to make millions of dollars. You're probably not because it takes a long time to get to the point where your products are selling. And a lot of people make the mistake of expecting a full-time income from way less than part-time work. And that's just not how it works, not how it works at all. Yeah, I I agree. Um, I mean, when uh, what's his name, Tim Ferriss came out with the four hour work week. Uh, first of all, I took a very close look at his business. And I realized, you know, he's basically just a broker for supplements, and he can do that in four hours a week. And he's got knowledge, skill, the relationship, focus, all that. But I, I knew it was just going to the the promised work is going to get smaller and smaller, narrower and narrower. But you're right. It's not the way it works. And some of the richest people I know are some of the hardest people, hardest working people, not just rich people, but, you know, people who are, quote, unquote, living the dream and, and you know, doing their own thing, uh, people who are just making very good living. Uh, so I, I'm really glad you brought that up. And, um, you know, um, I'm sure there are people who are, you know, so certain that all it really takes is 10 minutes in the Bahamas on a beach chair. And all I can say is go try it. Let us know how it works out. You know, it just doesn't work that way. And you know, the other thing is it doesn't happen overnight. Um, it's, it's going to take a while before you get to a six figure income. It's, it's like, trying to walk up to somebody on the street and sell them something out of your pocket that they haven't even seen and they don't yeah. know you. Um, you have to build trust and a relationship. Right. And so you have to give a lot more um, than you get back at first. And, and then at a certain point, the switch flips, the valve reverses, and it starts coming in. And maybe, maybe it doesn't come in, you know, in six figures every day, but it, it comes in so you can make a good living. Right. I know a lot of people mock the whole nurture sequence. And, you know, I, I am not a marketer per se. I'm not a copywriter exactly. But I, I feel like I kind of spent a year nurturing my audience and letting them get to know me. And then at that point, they trusted my recommendations. And, you know, initially, I just made money um, as an affiliate recommending products. And so that takes a while because, it really is a relationship. So, you know, don't be so fast to discount a nurture sequence unless you have something you've got to sell right away. Um, because I'm a blogger, so I my my business is information, and um, the more information I can provide and get paid from someone other than my readers, the more they're going to trust me. No, oh, that's that's really good. So I, I assume you're still an affiliate marketer, and you make money that way as well. Yep, I do pretty well. Um, after Amazon changed their terms for um, affiliates, I, I took a huge hit. Um, I lost probably $4,000 a month when that happened. Um, so, you know, you've got to have multiple streams of income because nobody owes you a living. And yeah, they can all change their terms at any point in time. But I used to make about $10,000 a month from Amazon. No more, though. 
and they also made me mad so mad when they did that so i don't really push it as much anymore yeah, i know it's like okay so you helped us grow let's cut your legs off as a as a thank you right 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 because it was the highest sellers that got penalized um previously you could get eight and a half percent um of commission mm -hmm. and so then they knocked down because apparently it was confusing their sliding scale was confusing so they knocked everyone down to four percent so that was a huge hit yeah I, I think they may have said it was confusing i think the problem was some some cfo said oh here's how we can make all this more money by paying people less one of one of businesses um most most common um quick quick um profit increasing strategies not always good uh so if if you like could you talk about other other streams of income if it's not gonna Oh, certainly. Um, I use an ad network called AdThrive. They're absolutely fantastic. You have to have, um, you know, a certain amount of traffic, 100,000 page views a month before they will put ads on your website. Mm -hmm. But um, that is probably one of my biggest streams of income now. Um, it's just a really nice, steady several thousand dollars, um, you know, like more than a thousand dollars a week. And I don't have to do anything except get, get people to come to my website for that because it's, you know, based on page views. Yes. Um, if you don't have enough content for them, there are all sorts of other ad networks. I mean, Google AdSense is the one that everybody knows about. It doesn't pay very well, but if you're just starting out, it'll give you a few dollars and um, your readers are going to become accustomed to seeing ads on your website. So they're not going to freak out when those suddenly appear. Um, so ad networks, I strongly, strongly recommend. And that just kind of goes back to the... Um, People can get the information without paying for anything and get to know you, but you're still getting money. Yeah, that's great. I mean, what, what I want to point out to everyone listening is you say you're not a copywriter, but of course you have to use copy in, in small part to get people to subscribe to, to your newsletter and, and buy your PDFs. But also, I think the bigger point is that you're using content, you're using words. And while you write, you know, very detailed, um, um, actionable uh, sp information of specific interest to people who, who like the organic prepper as a website, um, there, that's, you know, I'm sure you write it in, in a persuasive and convincing way. And and you know, mildly, that's copy too. But this, your your whole business is based on words, spoken words, and written yes. words, and and you're doing all these things. That's really good. Let me let me ask you sort of a, a reflection, reflective question. Okay. What have you learned doing all of this that has surprised you? Gosh, let's see. You know, there have been a lot of things, um, but I would say most specifically, is that you can't always follow the advice of the internet marketing sector. If I were to ask most of them, they would recommend a complicated funnel and a whole lot more products. You know, like uh, my $5 thing would be the tripwire and then I'd have something more expensive and then the next thing you know, I'd be getting thousands of dollars from these people. But really, I make plenty of money just getting people to come and read my content. My products are inexpensive and this is what appeals to my audience. So, think that what I learned and what others can learn is you can take advice from the experts, but you've got to make it your own. And this comes from knowing your audience. Um, there's no way my audience is going to spend 
$1,000 on an info product. But um, when I consult, um, I, I consult people um, regarding like blogs that they want to start. I get a whole lot more money for that because that's a totally different niche and I can ask for more money. So you've got to know what your audience expects. That's, that's really great. I mean, we always say that, Nathan, we always say that, right? You need to know your customer, know your prospects. But Daisy, you may be one of the first people who's really made it real, really taken it and shown us exactly how it applies and how it applies in one way in, in the prepper niche and another way in a business-to-business consulting niche and how both prices are right, but they wouldn't be right for each other. They're only right for themselves. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So, you know, you can, I have several different audiences and I tailor what I offer each audience. My frugality audience, that's another example. That, that's kind of where I came up with the $5 product idea. Um, they're definitely not going to pay a whole lot of money to learn to save money. It just doesn't even make sense. Right. Right. Um, Although there, there are plenty of contradictions in the world. That's not one of them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because it's just not possible. If they're frugal, they're not going to pay a lot of money. That's sort of right. axiomatic. So uh, let's talk a little more about copywriting. In what ways do you, I, I know that's not primarily you write content. I get it. And you talk on the Genesis radio network, 830 <laughs> stations. I got, I don't know anyone as famous as you, Daisy. Oh my gosh. That's so funny. <laughs> I didn't even know how many stations there were. I did my homework. Uh, so, you did. Uh, More so than I did. <laughs> hey, all you need to do is show up and talk. You're, you're the star. You don't need to worry about those details. So in what ways do you use copywriting for the amount, limited amount that you use it to run and grow your business? Well, I started studying copywriting um, maybe two years ago. I've always kind of unknowingly done content marketing, um, but I realized that I was kind of at a, at a sticking point with my business, and if I wanted it to go further, I needed to learn more about the business aspect. So I began to study copywriting and buy books and products and things like that. And once I did that, my business really boomed. I've learned how to make a sales page. I can write a persuasive email, and I can build a relationship with my audience. And even though copyright, well, because copywriting isn't specifically what I do, I get a little bit lost when somebody starts throwing around all the jargon. And so I sit there and I Google real fast so I don't look silly when I'm talking to pros like you. Um, but yeah, it's, it's all of those things that you have to have to run a business that a lot of bloggers miss out on. Um, most bloggers don't know how to write a sales page. Um, their emails are you know, very rare and sparse and friendly, and rarely are they to sell something. Um, I kind of use the bin settle email thing, and I email just about every day. Um, of course, what I'm selling is come to my website and see this. Um, so that's an obviously a much easier sale than asking someone to spend actual money. Right. But, um, you know, I use that chatty, informal type of email and get people there. But they're so accustomed to hearing from me that when I do um, try to sell a product, I say, hey, I've got this new book. Boom, the orders just come rolling in. That's, that's really cool. So, yeah, it sounds like you, you're constantly doing the nurture sequence. And it's, that's, that's just part of your business model. And, and it's sincere. And people are, are willing to reward you. Um, I mean, the one thing I think that might be hard for another person to replicate is to write 70 and 100,000 words a week. Mm -hmm. But uh, 
Maybe, maybe I really shouldn't knock it till I've tried it. Maybe it's maybe it's possible. I don't know. You know what? You might be surprised how much you write. Just put Grammarly on your computer, and it tracks everything. Tracks every keystroke. Yeah, it tracks the stuff that you do in Word documents on your on your website, on Facebook, all that. So, I mean, I do a little chit-chatting on Facebook, but most of my stuff on Facebook is business. As you know, sometimes I get into, like to get into long, um, <laughs> interesting threads. Well, yes, you do. Leave that yes, for another do. day. It's always fascinating. Thank you. So what advice would you have for our listeners uh, who want to sell unique, valuable content online? Well, I kind of have to reiterate what we talked about earlier. It does not happen overnight. I see all of these make six figures this year products being sold. It took me several years to get to that point. So just to give you a little bit of background, it took me a full year before I had a month in which my blog earned me $1,000. So I kept at it even though I was making like 50 bucks here, 100 bucks there. Um, It took a whole year of really not doing diddly uh, before I hit that $1,000 mark. And obviously, I can't live on that. So this was still my side gig. And then it took me three years before I hit the sixth six-figure mark. And a lot of that was pure luck and stumbling upon a trend. But when I did that, I was able to put some money back and leave my my full-time job and start to focus um, more on my own business. So now, five years later, my business is pretty steady and I work a little bit less than I used to. Um, So just to talk about working hours, when I started out, I worked eight hours a day on my website after my full-time gig. Then once I started doing my own blog and nothing else, um, maybe a little freelance, but mostly my own blog, it was 12-hour days. I don't take vacations without my laptop. I don't take weeks away from the computer. I work five or six hours most days, usually seven days a week, maybe six if I have an article that goes viral and the traffic's just rolling in. So if you want full-time money, it usually takes full-time work. And if you're expecting otherwise, you're really going to be in for a disappointment. You know, I I love what you're saying. I agree with you. I agree with you 100%. And I was talking to a client yesterday and as listeners know, maybe you know, I, I don't uh, share a lot of details. My client stuff's confidential. But I was saying, in general, this client had put up a web page and started a Shopify business. And he was telling me that he'd done it like within the last few days. And he told me that he was kind of disappointed because they'd only made a few sales. And, 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 I, and they're not profitable yet. And... You know, I, I kiddingly reminded him that in the world of brick and mortar businesses, it usually takes three or four years before you become profitable. On the internet, you can do it faster. You you took your time, but I think after your first year, you were starting, you really could see what was going to happen. Definitely. Um, People. I have a Shopify store too. I mean, that mm-hmm. stuff doesn't happen overnight. The only reason my Shopify store does as well as it is is because I already have the audience. If I didn't have the audience and was starting from scratch, I wouldn't do squat. Okay, so we're we're coming close to the end of our time, but I want to ask you something. Um, so, okay, I have Nathan has we we've read a lot of books. We teach copywriting. Uh, you're still not sure of all the terms, but you're, you keep taking your words and just churning out dollars. Um, and I'm sure you know more than you give yourself credit for. What 
do most copywriters not know that you wish they did? They're so pushy and so dramatic. I know that the, quote, rules of copywriting tell you that's how you have to be to sell. But mm -hmm. some audiences really don't respond to that brazen copy that hits all the pain points when you stick your thumb in there and gouge them. I mean, my audience just gets mad at stuff like that. I do um, sponsored posts and emails sometimes, and my readers absolutely hate it. And I know that when I try to sell something, it like I sell hundreds immediately. But when people that are selling with these, oh my God, did you know your wife did this? That kind of that kind of copy, mm -hmm. it just doesn't. I mean, they get like one or two sales, and it's a huge difference. I mean, there's a lot of ways to cut up fish, so you need to know your audience before you approach them. And I use a very soft approach. And if you have influence over your market, a suggestion or a mention works way better than that whole sledgehammer, you're going to die approach. That's really good. Um, I'm glad you said that. I've often felt in a lot of markets that's the case, but um, there's no way I could say it with nearly the authority and believability as you because you're living it every day and, and now you're making a pretty decent living based on that knowledge and following through on it. So, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have the statistics to back it up. I can compare side by side a sales email that I send out versus a sales email that's sponsored. And, I mean, first there's the barrage of unsubscri unsubscribes, which I don't worry too much about that. Mm -hmm. um, but there's also the fact that they don't get very many clicks and they don't get very many opens. So, you know... I really wish that people would pay more attention to that. I wish I could write my own sponsored emails because they would really probably work a lot better on my audience. Okay, well, that's, that's another thing I think you like, copywriters. And people who are sending sponsored emails to the organic prepper to know. Good. So thank you for that. So, uh, again, if people, I know that some of our listeners would be very interested in what you're doing and on the slight chance that they're not already your subscriber, how would they um, do that? How would they get in touch with you? Um, my website is theorganicprepper.com, and um, my blogging website is called thelostartofblogging.com. Okay, so it's not the organic pepper, it's the organic <laughs> prepper, right? Yes, okay. yes. The, I'm the official blogger of the apocalypse. <laughs> wow. Um, you know, for, for such a doomy, gloomy person, you're awful chipper, Daisy. I really like that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think survivalism is actually optimism. I know that people think it's really doomy, but it's the optimism that no matter what bad thing happens, you're planning to survive it. So to me, that's an optimistic way to look at life. I, I love it. I, I guess we ought to wrap it up. Nathan, anything else you want to say before we thank Daisy and wish her, let, let her go back to the 10,000 words she has to write today or whatever it is? I just want to drill home how important this, this was a re reoccurring theme, and it's been a reoccurring theme outside of this interview in my life as well. It's so important to know your market. Your message is not nearly as important as understanding your market. And uh, like Daisy said, what works in one industry, the pushing the pain points and the whatever, whatever, even though you would think that that will automatically translate to the doom and gloom market of prepper, 
maybe not. And so knowing your market is the most important thing. And I just, I really like that that message uh, came through in this interview. Yeah, I, I think it came through in a in a, a far more living, breathing and and relatable way than anything you or I've been able to say so far. Yeah. So I do want to, I do want to say thank you, Daisy, for coming on. It's been too long since we talked and uh, listening to you and David had this conversation was awesome. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Thanks, Daisy. Do we have a sneak preview maybe of what's coming next week? Yes, we do. So there was another person that joined Daisy and me at dinner. There are actually two other people, but one of them uses direct response copywriting techniques, the really loud brazen type, by the way, in LinkedIn profiles and resumes. And he's going to, his name is Donald Burns, and he'll be on next week. And he's going to tell us how he got somebody who for months, for months, CNN called on the bottom of its screen, the most hated man in America, how he got this guy a job. Oh, nice. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you, Daisy. Thank you, David. Thank you, copywriters out there for tuning in. Make sure to check out the copywriterspodcast.com for more copywriting fixes. And Daisy, where can people go to check out your work? Uh, Theorganicprepper.com and thelostartofblogging.com. Awesome. All right. Until next time, we'll catch you later. Catch you later. Do you have a problem with Kindle books? I do. Sometimes I really just want to hold a book in my hand so I can turn the pages and highlight stuff and make notes. That's one reason I recently released the print version of my book, Breakthrough Copywriting. And listen to this. On Facebook, I've gotten pictures posted from around the world. Pictures of people holding their printed copy of Breakthrough Copywriting in their hands including one from an A-list screenwriter and marketer in L.A.'s famous Topanga Canyon. He was reading the book in his hot tub. Breakthrough Copywriting is a great book for you, whether you are a beginner or an A-lister yourself or anywhere in between. It costs a tiny, tiny fraction of my $5,000 a head seminar that the book is based on. So check out Breakthrough Copywriting on Amazon.com. Now, back to the show.